Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, before I introduce my guest, I just wanted to um, just share some thoughts. We're into our 140-plus episode, and so grateful for our listeners. We've been getting comments on Apple, where you can review a podcast and leave a comment. I just wanted to read a couple of these. I'm so grateful for these podcasts. They have changed my heart and opened it to be filled with so much more love for my son and the LGBT community at large. My son is no longer speaking to me, but I pray that when the day comes, he, he may allow me back in his life, and that by listening to these wonderful people tell their stories has given me the language and the compassion and the understanding and the unconditional love to be the mom he wants and needs to me, me to be. How I wish I had had these podcasts when he came out to me at age 16 in the 90s. I know that if I had them, I would have been able to support him and been there for him. Thank you. Seems so inadequate, but thank you from the bottom of my heart and pray that all members and parents of the church will find these and listen to them, whether they have gay family members or not. So I'm grateful for that review. And um, it's really the heroes on the podcast are the guests, like my guest tonight, for bravely sharing their story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And we appreciate those of you that leave reviews. It helps, I think, more engage in the podcast series. Um, I also engaged um, a podcast expert, which I'm not, <laughs> to figure out how many are listening. And it's hard to tell, and we're going to get some better analytics. But I believe he believes between about 7,000 and 12,000 are listening to each episode. And and that is a really, we really appreciate that. Um, it's a surprise to me. I didn't know that would happen when we started the podcast. But it's a real credit to the guests that come on and are bravely and vulnerably sharing their stories. And I just recognize in our church, there's we're aching for content and we want to hear the stories like my guest tonight. So thank you for engaging in the podcast and, and I hope it's helpful for you. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Bryant Carter. Welcome to the podcast, Bryant. Thank you. Bryant is gay. Bryant is active in the church. He is in his 60s. I don't know if that makes you my oldest um, LGBTQ <laughs> guest, Brian. Uh, I'll, I'll take that honor. <laughs> um, he's in great health. And and um, I'm seeing a little bit more, and Brian can speak this, of our, of our older, if I'm calling myself older in my 50s, so I guess I'm calling Brian older too, members of our church um, that are talking about their sexual orientation um, and Bryant has this perspective of seeing the long view of multiple decades of being gay in the church. And I think his perspective is unique. Some of our younger members are just coming out and may not have as uh, the view that Bryant has of just, you know, how difficult it was to come out and where the church has been and where we are now. And so Bryant is bravely coming out. And that's where we're going to hear his story. Just a little more background on him. Bryant grew up in Salt Lake City. Um, he's in a tender spot with his mom. His mom is on hospice or right now in her in her mid-80s, and that's a tough spot. Bryant lost his dad recently a few years ago. Um, Bryant served a mission in Calgary, Canada. We'll talk about that, and has really been active in the church his whole life, with maybe an exception in his 20s. He served in bishoprics and stake presidencies and other callings. Bryant's never been married to a woman or a man that I'm aware of. No. And so Bryant has really spent his life single in our church. So anything to correct on that, Bryant? That sounds good. Yeah, you've got it right. Bryant offered a wonderful prayer. We should start recording those. <laughs> With deep tears in his eyes, he just, you know, this takes a lot of courage to do what Bryant's doing. He has a very tender heart. I can sense that right now. There may be some tears that you, um, our listeners, me or Bryant, share as Bryant shares his story, but let's start with where you grew up, Brian. I grew up in West Valley. We, um, I was the oldest, and uh, I was probably, I was probably about two when we moved there. Um, and I've spent most of my growing up years in West Valley. Yeah. And we, so you're here in Salt Lake City, and where do you live now, Brian? I recently purchased a home in Riverton. I, I got to a point in my life where I thought, where do I want to spend the last years of my life? Uh, and I was living in Sugar House and loved it there, had a great little home. 
uh, but felt like I wanted something that would be more conducive to a walker and those sorts of things as That's we great. Get So I bought a, a new home out in Riverton and um, really like it there. My wife and I do live in that kind of a home <laughs> where the bedroom's on the same floor as everything else. Great. So You're lucky. We didn't think of that very much when we bought this home 20 years ago, but we realized that's a reality. You know, an impression came to my mind um, that this good mom who wrote this review may be listening to that. And, you know, if you're listening or other moms that have some regret, um, that's really vulnerable what you wrote about um, you're not now connected with your son, I just say that, you know, Heavenly Father's going to make that all right. And you did the very best you could, Mom and Dad, with the tools you had to raise a gay child in the 90s. And even though you're not together and you have regrets, um, I would just leave that at the Savior's feet. And I believe the power of the plan of salvation that applies to your family and I would think if Heavenly Father came visited you, he'd just fill you with hope and tell you you've done okay. You didn't need to be perfect. And you can't measure an outcome by, you can't measure the success of your role as a parent by a certain outcome, but just by doing your best and leaving that at the Savior's feet. And so anyway, I just felt impressed to circle back and a little tangent there. <laughs> um, I don't know what your profession is, Bryant. What do you do for a living? Um, I I work with in with Corning actually, um, but I used to be I've I've worked most of my life with uh, Jim Sorensen, the yes. the billionaire here in town. Yeah. I've worked for a couple of his companies, and when he passed away, this particular company that I was working for transferred to Corning. But yeah, he was a great person to work yeah, with. Yeah, great. And we've had a couple of his kids in our neighborhood. Wow. We've been loosely connected with that good family that's yeah. done so much. Tell us about growing up. The usual question I ask if when did you know you were gay or um, did you even have vocabulary? Where did you know you were different than most of the young boys or teenagers or men your age? You know, I, I've always felt that way. I don't think there was a time when I when it hit me that I was different. Um, didn't really, I don't know that it really bothered me that much. Uh, I mean, it did. You always want to fit in when you're, you're a teenager, but I just, um, part of me just wanted to be who, who I was rather than changing to fit in. And, and so I, I just kind of kept it all inside, um, which probably wasn't best. But at that time, they're really, you know, you just didn't talk about this sort of thing did back you, then. But did you feel you were different? Were you aware that you didn't fit in with the boys? Or some of the gay and lesbian people I talk with bit, did fit in. They weren't, uh -huh. their interests and just their ability to connect with people of the same gender was just the same as others. Well, I was taught by church leaders that it was a choice. And that um, if you chose to be gay, then that was a sin and you were, you know, going down from there. So I believe that. And as a teenager, I just felt, well, you know, I'll, I'll choose not to be gay and we'll just see where it goes. Um, and it, it wasn't until I got back from my mission when, when I finally realized that this really isn't a choice and things are not changing. And um, this, is, this is how I feel. Um, and this would be the 70s, I assume, when you got back from your Yeah, mission. I got back in 76, so yeah, you're right, uh, the late 70s. Uh, um, yeah. And did you make deals with God? Did you say, I'll go on a mission, make me straight? Um, I think the t general teaching of the church was like you're sharing this was a choice, so that put the responsibility back on you, Bryant, to become straight. Did you do that a lot, and was that self-destructive, or did you just kind of compartmentalize that and move on more the latter i uh you know when i felt like that i was gay i i didn't ever i thought it would be nice to be straight just to have a family and you know move along like everybody else was and but i didn't uh i didn't really yearn for that i'm it just wasn't the nirvana there either whatever you know the that that uh, that maybe others might have felt it was i i didn't i i didn't 
Were you suicidal during these years or any years? I've never been suicidal. No. I've just felt like that's not a way out of the problem and was causing problems for the people I would have left behind. Yeah. You're just answering really vulnerable questions, Brian. Thank you. Um, um, you don't walk down the street, get on tracks in Salt Lake City, and ask someone if you've ever been suicidal. So <laughs> um, I appreciate you just be willing to add. And I think it's every LGBTQ person has different journeys. So I don't, you know, you haven't had as much suicidal ideation, and and some do. And I think we just recognize there's differences. And I think part of it might be, Richard, as you mentioned earlier, that I'm just a tender-hearted sort of person, and um, I think my anger level probably isn't as intense or as high as what other people or depression i i'm i'm just not as as extreme i don't know i'm trying to not quite sure quite how to describe it in the 70s or 80s were you hearing because in the this is being recorded in 2019 and we hear conference talks about our gay brothers and sisters and um, it's fairly topical right now, I think, um, with the general membership of the church. And even in our conference talks, we don't hear a lot, but this subject comes up about same-sex marriage and that being outside of our doctrine. Take us back to the 70s and 80s. Was this a topic that was talked about a lot? <laughs> I mean, if I listened to five years of conference and my local leaders, and what, was it talked about a lot? You know, I can't remember it. I mean, you might go back and find something, but I cannot remember any. And I don't remember this really. People felt really uncomfortable about talking about it. And um, so it just wasn't really discussed much. In the church or in a formal way, it just wasn't talked about yeah. very much. Yeah. I don't think back then that, I don't know. I don't know if it was perceived as being as prevalent is what it is. Yeah. And I don't know the history of when we started to talk about that. I know there's been a book recently written that goes into that, and I just can't remember that off the top of my head. And I think it was President Kimball that first started to talk about this subject. I was counseled to read that book, actually, when I was Do you know when that was? The Miracle of Forgiveness. Yeah, I, I don't think. know when it was written. I, I can't remember. But it, and so you came home from your mission. You served in Calgary. Thank you for your service. Um, Loved it. What Great was your experience. favorite city to serve in in Calgary? Well, actually, um, my heart is in Regina. That was my first city. Is that south of Calgary? Um, it's actually in in Saskatchewan. So it's north. Uh, uh, it's east. It's east. It's in a different province. Now it's been split several it's times, and it's not part of the mission at all. But back in the day, it, my mission was the Northwest Territories and Alberta and Saskatchewan. So we covered, I think we covered more territory than just about any mission in the, in the world at that time. Who was your mission president? Now I'm asking you really hard questions, Brian. No, you don't, you're not. Uh, his name is Ray Beckham. Hmm. And I loved him dearly. He was a wonderful president and passed away about a year ago. Wow, and, not uh, very long ago. He was yeah. young then. He was a professor down at the Y and uh, just just a wonderful man. Very good. And one of the things you've done, and, and our listeners could listen to this at um, Susie Augustine's page that's called Let's Love Better. You could search that on Facebook, Let's Love Better. She posts stories of our LGBTQ members and June of 2019, you shared your story there. That that was a really wonderful story and very brave of you. And this is kind of another chapter of you sharing your stories. But you do talk about um, a period of time in your 20s when you're disfellowshipped. Do you want to share any? Sometimes when I would meet people that had gone through a period outside the church, I used to try to say, I used to think God would say, he wouldn't remind them of the mistakes they've made. He'd probably just say, what are the lessons you've learned? How can we move forward in a positive way? And does this help you? So I think he'd try to take the shame out of it and just say, what have you learned in a positive way to help you move forward? Are there any thoughts that come to your mind as you reflect on that experience in your 20s? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that being promiscuous is a very short-termed, short-lived sort of um, gratification. 
and that if I chose to continue to live my life that way, uh, I would always be hungry and wanting something um, that it wasn't really what was going to make me happy. But back then, that's all I, you know, there, there just weren't many people in the community that you could even associate with. And as I mentioned in my article, there's a lot of people in the, in the LGBTQ community that I don't, we just, we're just as varied in our interests and personalities as the straight community. So even though I knew some people in the community at the time, I just, they weren't really people that, you know, I wanted to get a close relationship with. I like that, and I think we do make these generalizations, and we say everybody in the LGBT community, and then we start doing <laughs> adjectives. I'm not very good at. Um, I've never was clear on the difference between a verb and an adjective, but we sometimes, you know, paint all these same pictures. And I love what you're saying is everybody's different. Well, and you can say that about different communities and groups of people. You know, we seem to have this little set criteria of what we think that that group of people share, and at least in this community, um, personalities and interests are, are quite varied. Um, what would you say to people that are living outside the doctrine that want to come back? Because at some point you you wanted to come back, and that some, can sometimes be hard. Um, I don't know if it was hard for you to say, I'm going to, I want to kind of come back to the church and, you know, set the record straight, put this behind me. But sometimes I meet people that that's scary to them. Well, let me just say, I don't feel like I really left, even though I was disfellowshipped. I, as I mentioned uh, in that article, uh, I was assigned a home teacher who was wonderful. Um, his name is Steve Allen. If you're listening, Steve, he's currently, him and his wife are currently serving in the visitor center uh, in Hawaii. Um, but he couldn't have been a better home teacher. And we just, uh, you know, I continued to attend church. Uh, it was, I, I, again, I didn't feel like I had stepped away. And uh, So you hadn't lost your belief. No, This no. wasn't a belief issue. No, and, and that's one thing that people today now think, well, Brian, how can you be uh, gay and uh, practicing your faith? And and it's an either-or thing. And it it is kind of a... It's a hard thing to do. And, uh, and I've told friends, I've just said, you know, if the right man were to come along, I think I would get married. Um, and I know what that would, how that would affect my standing in the church, but I would still practice my faith. I th think I can practice my faith as a follower of Jesus Christ, um, but I would still like to participate as much as possible. Um, as a non-member of the church, if if that ever happened, I think at my age I'm not holding my breath. But um, um, yeah, I feel really comfortable honest. with both with both groups. Uh, talk about um, as you were called to talk about your first call into a bishopric, and how that came about. It, it was because of my home teacher that I just spoke about. We. Uh, it was not long after I was reinstated to the church that he was asked to serve as the new bishop in our ward. And he approached me and asked me if I would serve as his secretary, which really took me by surprise. And the other brethren that he asked to serve in the bishopric were just good friends of mine. It was, it was very natural. It was very wonderful. Um, they all knew what I'm sure what the situation was. And, uh, that's been in my experience with all of the bishoprics and the stake presidencies I've been with. They've all known, and they haven't treated me any different than anybody else in the group. And that has just been a really healing and um, sustaining. It, it's just been a really great experience for me. It's It's been harder for me to accept that love and acceptance and brotherhood than it was for them to give it to me. Why? because I've always felt substandard and uh, shameful and like I don't measure up that there's something wrong with me because I'm not, I'm not straight, you know, I'm, I'm broken somehow. And, uh, and so 
you know, I should be grateful for every person that puts their hand out to shake me my hand. It's really honest. Do you still feel that way? There's probably a little part of me that still does, Richard. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, but for for the most part, I'm I'm really comfortable with my sexuality. It's it's more of my identity than it is um, a handicap. And yet, I feel like if this is some sort of handicap or whatever here, and things change in the next life. Richard, I'm just fine with whatever happens. You know, I, 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 I just put my life in God's hands and feel like God knows me and better than I know. I'm not going to sit him and tell God what I, what I need and this is where we need to go and, and blah, blah, blah. I, 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 I know so little and uh, I, am, I am more than happy to just go wherever God wants me to go. Well, I think you know a lot. <laughs> Hopefully at this age I know a little more, but <laughs> still don't know a lot. That's so honest with just not... I'm so tender for what you just said, because here you are set apart into these bishoprics and these stick presidencies, and because of just the messages you've heard and a culture that you feel you, you, feel you don't measure up. For probably most of that time, I never did feel like I measured up. I was just grateful and loved their accepting me. And that's very it, healing. It, it I didn't. love that they accepted you. Yeah. And I, if there's listeners that are LGBTQ that feel shame or broken or not measuring up or not worthy of, how, what would you say to them? Because you have gone out of this space into a much better space. Just walk our listeners through how you did that. Actually, I feel it was a gift from God. It wasn't something that I took control over and went through these steps. Um, I think it was a various experiences of people being able to get through my thick skull um, and um, help me to realize and, and not only accept my sexuality, but to... Um, be happy with it, you know. Uh, I the last the last breakthrough was just um, a few years ago with um, a personal trainer of mine, and he was doing some holistic coaching um, and getting certified. And I was one of his case studies, and it was our work together um, that really helped me take that last step to where where I'm really just really quite open. I, I don't feel. I, I just don't feel the shame that I had in in the past, Richard. And just on a tangent, we like tangents. <clears throat> you know, we've recently had the Pride Parade and and blah blah blah. And you know, Richard, I've just never gotten into that Pride thing. Um, I think my sexuality is it's it's what I was born with. It's 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 I I can certainly relate to the shame. Oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. Um, but now I, I don't think of my, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel shame or proud, um, for my sexuality. I, I, I've just embraced it and, and as part of who I am. Um, what did that, this, I think you said holistic approach. What, what happened in that? Cause you've had, I assume like most of us, you've gone to counselors and have had thoughtful people in your life. What ha what did he do specifically? Can you put that into words? So, I don't know if it was timing or if it was some real skills or the things he said or just that he, I don't know. Tell Again, with... I think it was, again, I think God was involved with that. Um, but one of the things that I've always felt is an attraction for muscular men, even as a tiny little boy, as far back as I can remember. And my personal trainer, I just kind of worship the ground he walks on because he's just got an amazing body and it's uh, really honest I, I and I oh I tell him that all the time <laughs> um, and when we began um, the holistic uh, coaching 
um, he was asking me uh, a, a lot of um, probing questions, um, and some of them dealt with my sexuality. And uh, and um, we got to a point where I needed to 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 tell him that I was gay, and uh, he has told me more than once. He said, "Brian, I remember that because you broke down and sobbed like I." I just have never seen before. And I think it was because, Richard, uh, I admired him so much, not only for his body, but just for the, the man he was. I just, he's, I, I, I think it was the relationship that we had that allowed him to get through some of the garbage that was still in my head. And his response, Richard, was, uh, he couldn't have, shown more love for me uh, and, and, and brotherhood. And just like, why should that make me, why should that affect our relationship? I don't, you know, uh, and that just, it, the timing, the, the relationship we had, I'm not quite sure what, where it all was. And again, I think God was in part of that event, but um, that just finally broke through the last part and he says you know there's still a little garbage in there we need to work on but I, i've that was the last big step and now i'm more comfortable did he ever disclose his sexuality he hasn't really said that it no yes he has actually yeah and he's straight he can't relate to what i'm saying at all but i think he really appreciates our sessions because he was interested in just trying to understand how somebody that he loved, how, how this person felt. Uh, yes. Yeah. In my limited experience, it's sometimes the, you know, the, the straight men that are so confident about their sexuality that can be around gay men that can sometimes heal gay men the best because this, this trainer of yours, you know, just loved you. And I, as you courageously opened up and and he sat with you there and all that pain and those tears and kind of a messy moment for you, it was highly emotional and just sat with you. I'm sensing and didn't withdraw and didn't look down and didn't make you feel ashamed for sharing what you feel. I sense he just did a great job of hanging there with you. And then this was a really healing moment for you that healed something inside of you that yeah. maybe you couldn't have been healed without a straight, muscular man hearing this. I don't know. I think you're right on, Richard. And I, we're all different. But for me, yeah, I'd never thought about that. But I don't think a gay man could have helped me break through that last psychological barrier. It had to be a straight man and not a gay man. So Interesting. I, I like that because I think it's, you know, if you're an ally out there, you know, can you do what, you know, this trainer did for Bryant? Can you listen to someone's tell their story? Can you hang in there with them? Can you not change the subject and not, you know, t turn it to your gay cousin and kind of open a conversation and move it to a, but really keep it on Bryant or the person in your life that really needs to share their full story. And if I'm your local bishop or your friend or your home teacher and you're bravely kind of opening up, I think, I hope I could sort of stay in there, stay in there with you and keep asking follow-up questions and I think we heal people. My feeling is he didn't do anything except just listened and held your pain and validated and was there with you. And there's something very healing about that. Richard, you're right on. You are so right on. And yeah, he didn't have to fix anything. He just, I think he needed to support me as I expressed that and to let me know that it, 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 that didn't affect, he still loved me. Uh, in fact, he probably loved me more for being as... He loved you more. Yeah, I, I believe he does. Yeah. And I would guess his respect and admiration, just like I think our listeners are for you, just increases as we're honest and vulnerable and real. And then... Yeah. So that's a pretty tender story. And, you know... Um, and I think you framed that up, but that was the most helpful experience for you to feel to feel better about yourself and to have the shame go and just be at peace with who you are. 
It was. I mean, I was taking little baby steps here and there over the last 30 years, you know, leading up to that. And I had met with three different uh, social workers, um, but their, their frame of mind, it was more back in the day where this was considered an illness and what can we do to help. Um, so they really weren't very helpful. They more, more or less, um, 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 it just solidified, I guess, what I had been told all my life. And so they weren't very helpful. Why did you feel impressed to come out a little bit and share this story with Susie? Because a lot of people that have been closeted for a long time, they just, that's been their road. And so they don't, they, there's not a lot of upside to coming out. So some people say, well, why are you doing this, Brian? It's a very um, good question. And why are you willing to come on the podcast and share your story? And I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I don't think it's a sign you're wanting people to tell you how cool you are. And I really think it's none of that. I think your motives are, are really, really good and pure. So, <laughs> Well, you know, after this experience with my trainer, and I don't know, that was probably three years ago. So um, I, I've been more open, but I don't feel like... I'm not out there just coming out and, and talking really openly about my sexuality. If it comes up in the conversation naturally, I'm fine with that. But I don't feel the need to, you know, um, make it more an active part of our relationship. It's part of it, but it's, um, it's so anyway, so that, so I have been slowly, you know, coming out to different friends along the way. Um, but the reason why I, I accepted your invitation as well as Suzy um, is because of my mother. Um, What's her first name? Her name is Joyce. And um, as I see her slipping away from us, I don't think she'll be here very long. Um, it's, and I'm sure a lot of people who um, have important people who in their life who are in this position where um, they're dying in front of your eyes. And it, it shifts your view of mortality, I think. You look at mortality a little bit differently and, um, and get a better, clearer vision of what really is important. And... Um, it was from that experience that I went, I feel like this, my story is important. I don't, I don't feel it's really different, but I feel like if, if I'm given the opportunity to, to express some of my shame and some of my history and people are interested um, in knowing about it, I, I feel like I feel a responsibility. Um, and Richard, I feel a responsibility to the younger generation um, that they don't have to go through what I did. I think everybody has to go through it to one degree or another, but I think um, I would much rather see them be comfortable with themselves and be true to themselves. I found that when I'm really, when I feel like I'm really true to myself, regardless of who it offends or what criteria matches or doesn't match, there's a peace and a wholeness, and I feel closer to the spirit um, than when I try to live any other way. Does that answer your question? It's a great answer. <laughs> I'm just so touched by your answer, Brian. And um, I love your answer. To that is that you feel a responsibility to help younger people and deal with the shame and eliminate the shame and help them feel that they're whole and complete and worthy and needed in society and yeah. Yeah. some of those messages that you just didn't have. And I admire you sort of surviving is the word that comes to my term. You may not feel like you're a survivor. I think you're a survivor and very heroic to sort of without a lot of support and sometimes things that may have been unhelpful said at times that you've been able to hang in there and, and move forward. Well, we haven't talked much about my brother, but I think that's part of... Yeah, uh, let's talk about your brother. Tell I, us about Vince. I think Vince. that's part of the reason why I'm saying this, too. So my brother was about seven or eight years younger than me. 
And uh, he went on a full-time mission and uh, came back and, and just told my parents, you know, uh, I'm gay and uh, sorry. Uh, but there you go. And the company that, and that he was working with, he put in a um, um, request to be transferred as a way to get out of Salt Lake. So he felt like he could live his life in a way that would not bring shame to my parents because we love my parents. Uh, so he was transferred to Phoenix and um, lived there for a number of years. And then uh, he was transferred to upstate New York and uh, lived there for a few years. And it was there that he called the family and said, you know, um, I was HIV positive, didn't want to let you know and upset you, but now I'm, um, I have AIDS and I need some help. And I was not working at the time. And so I, it was great to, I was able to go back and and help care for him um, while he was, you know, s struggling as he was going down. And um, my parents probably three or four months after that went and helped close up his apartment. And we just had a little window where we could fly him back to Salt Lake. And uh, he stayed in my parent stayed in my parents' home, despite <laughs> despite sharing that with them. Um, they welcomed him into his into the home and we all took care of him and it was a wonderful wonderful experience and uh and uh he was 30 when he died and um i uh, miss him terribly and uh, feel like um i'm doing this for vince as well i think vince could could sit here and share some of the shame and and struggles that he went through. But just on a side note, Richard, if I may say, my mom and dad handled that death very differently. Um, my mom didn't want to talk about it to anybody. She didn't want anyone to know. It was very, she just held it inside. And I can't help but think that it made her ill the rest of her life. As, it, as, as my health has been terrible. Uh, but my dad, on the other hand, he turned 180 degrees. He was never really part of our lives growing up. He was an only child, and he's getting married, and he's got five kids. You know, I, I totally get it. Um, but he turned around, and uh, for the next 20, 25 years, however it was before he died, he was the dad we never had. And uh, he asked that us kids speak at his funeral. And we had some wonderful things to share and say in that funeral. And I think, had my brother not died, that funeral would have been very different. Um, I really, Richard, I can't help but think that my brother had to die for my dad to live. If that makes sense. It's a beautiful yeah. statement. Yeah. So now I love my dad, but... Prior to that, I didn't hate him, but I just didn't really have much of a relationship with him. When you're, if you're given your mother, who's passing away, a message for Vince, who's over the, on the other side. Yeah, she's getting several messages to take with her as she leaves. And uh, I, I was, I probably was the first one and just said, you need to tell Vince that I miss him terribly. You know, uh, we grew up and our ages were such that uh, we were not very close. He was my little brother and, but, you know, just so distant in ages that we were not, we didn't click. And by the time he got off of his mission and he was an adult where we could have formed a, a closer relationship, then he moved to, to Phoenix and to New York and then he died. And so, and I'll be honest, Richard, every family gathering that we have, I always think about him and just think, you know, it's wonderful that my family's here, but you know, there's, there's somebody missing and it's always Vince. Yeah. So I look forward to that reunion. And my mom has told me that that's one of the people she's really looking forward to meeting uh, when she passes. Yeah. You know, I, I love you sharing that story. I think it brings honor to Vince. And I think it brings honor to your family and your family circle to coming together. I love that you all went to New York. 
I love that you were with Vince. I have to think Vince, as he's on the other side, is remembering it as much as he can remember. I don't know what his medical state was then. You being there with him um, in New York and then coming home and having the family circle around him. Well, and I remember uh, we were told that one of the last things to go when you die is your hearing. And there was probably the last three weeks where he was not, he couldn't communicate with any of us. He just laid there. But we always made sure that there were at least two people in the room and that we were carrying on a conversation so that he could kind of be part of that conversation and feel like, you know, that, that he knew that we loved him and that we wanted him to know what was going on in our lives and how we were feeling as part of the group. I love that. And I wasn't connected too much with this issue during, you know, when lots of LDS men and I assume women were dying of AIDS, maybe just men. I don't know the medical um, sort of, I, uh, I'm just showing my ignorance. I assume, could women die of AIDS? Were women dying of AIDS or was it just a male disease? I, 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 I didn't get into it much. I think the, the vast majority were, were men, 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 but I don't think it was So we'll leave it at there, listeners. Them. Some of you obviously know more about that than I do, and so I won't claim to be an expert. But I saw a picture the other day that I haven't gotten out of my mind. It was a picture from the, probably from the 80s, and it was in a very dungy room, and there was a man sitting up probably in his 20s with full-blown AIDS, and he had all sorts of sores over him, and you could just tell. And the only thing he had on the wall behind him, it was just this empty wall, was a tacked-up picture of, I think, the Provo Temple. Wow. And I just realized that, you know, I think I just thought that everybody that got AIDS and went down that road, didn't believe in the church or turned their back on God. And I recognized that a lot of those good men, you know, just, it was just really hard. And they actually held a lot of belief in the church and, and God. And it was just such a hard road to walk and know how to do that. And I've sort of thought about, there's lots of ways to do life outside of the covenant path. And I don't sort of want to talk about <laughs> opening the door to be off the covenant path. If that's something you feel self-determined to do, I'll support you, but I'm not going to invite you to do that. But pragmatically, there's a lot of ways to live life off the covenant path. And I don't think there were as many if you were a gay man but in the 80s. And so now, in some ways, have we matured? So if you're off the covenant path, we've learned that maybe it's good to have a long-term monogamous relationship, and that can be a better life than than sort of what maybe were the only options in the 80s with perhaps multiple. And that's not true. I'm sure there were people who had monogamous relationship in the 80s, but maybe there were more multiple partners, and there just wasn't as many places in society for somebody off the covenant path. It's kind of complicated to talk about, yeah. Brian. I don't know if you have any <laughs> thoughts on that. Well, let me let me just say um, one other thing about my brother's dying is, um, and I don't know if he had multiple partners. I have no idea what uh, his life was like, I so I don't know. want to infer. I would that. assume it was, but uh, uh, he would share stories about his friends who also had AIDS and how they were deserted by their families. And friends, I think back then it was it was there was a, a greater stigma uh, for those who were diagnosed and uh, how they were how they just died alone. And my sisters and I went that should never happen, not on our watch. And so another good thing I think that happened as a result of my brother's death was we've been hospice volunteers ever since. What a way, great way to honor Vince. Yeah. I've had a number of um, AIDS patients as well as other patients. Um, wow. And um, I just love to sit and be there and listen to them. And it's been a wonderful experience. My my mother and one of my sisters, um, their role was to, to, is to do birthday cakes. They would make their last birthday cake, and they love that. So they spent a lot of time driving around the valley with these birthday cakes. But, yeah, we've enjoyed our service um, as a result, uh, again, of his death and what we learned from that experience. What a great way to honor him. Um, and what a great—I think this is a wonderful chapter in the Carter family history with just what you've done with Vince— and yet and, it's one that we and, don't talk much about because my parents were so... Yeah. 
But I think it honors, and they just, it's probably like this woman that we read a quote from at the beginning of the podcast. They just didn't have the vocabulary, the tools, or society. And so I think we're just doing better. And I think I love the way you are now, all of you are involved in hospice, or a lot of you, and are comfortable around people that are dying and, and actually see these are beautiful, tender moments. You're probably hearing some of the most tender life experiences and you can handle those <laughs> and like i mentioned earlier you when you know a death a person is dying your view on mortality changes especially when you're the person dying they um they look at life a little differently and talk about things that are really sweet and uh yeah they're, they're great interchanges um we I talk kind of off the podcast a lot with people that get troubled by things they hear at church, a, a leader comment that they don't feel comfortable with. And I think we're mature enough to look back on the things our leaders have said about LGBTQ in the past and recognize that those were kind of things that society was saying at the time and, and our leaders were saying. We've learned that some of those things aren't true, such as you know, sexual orientation being a choice. We used to say that. You know that. Um, is there a framework you can offer up to our listeners on how to manage when you hear stuff you don't aren't comfortable with or that you think or that later changes and keeping you a, a believing member? Because there's a lot of people I talk to that want to stay believing members, but they don't quite know how to navigate comments that they're uncomfortable with or prior statements that have later changed. Well, I have decided... And I mentioned this um, earlier. Uh, I think a lot of people look at the world as black and white. And um, a lot of people have asked me who have left the church. I have a number of friends who have left the church, but most of my friends are still are, are very involved. Um, and asked me, well, Brian, why would you want to stay a member of the church when you know their teachings are, don't support marrying or blah, blah, blah? And I try to explain to them, Richard, that my my view of the world is that this mortal existence is is not perfect. We came from a perfect environment when we lived with our Heavenly Father, but when we came to this earth, there's good and bad here. And um, I don't expect perfection from anybody, including the church. Um, there's too many good things in the church and too many spiritual experiences that I've had for me to just throw it out and go, you know, I, just because they say that, I'm leaving. Um, so I give everybody a, a grain of salt when I hear comments that kind of don't jive with what I think it should be. Um, and go, you know what? I, I want people to feel like they can express their feelings. And if they're feelings that I don't agree with um, or that affect, you know, the way my activity in the church, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, if, if I expect everything to be just perfect, then I'm not going to be involved with really any religion or, you know, uh, whatever. Um, so there was something else I was going to mention in that. I like that, and maybe that'll come to you. I'm going to read from your post. Um, I tell them that I'm, I'm open, which I think is leaving. If something better comes along, I'll take it. But in the meantime, I plan to stay where I am. Um, so I kind of like that. You know? And I, I mentioned in there that I, I have comfort in the ninth article of faith. I think a number of people mentioned that. There are still many great and important revelations that um, will be coming in the future. Who knows what they'll be? Um, I, I think there'll be a lot of things taking place, not only in our religion, but in the world. The other thing I was going to mention to you, right, um, Richard, is I think the thing that really helps comfort me through some of the things that I see in here is my relationship with the Savior. Um, Do you feel he's ever let you down? <laughs> He's always never let me down. No. And there's just a calm, wonderful spirit. And and the Holy Ghost. I feel like I I get glimpses of, of inspiration that help me to carry on and to better understand myself or someone who's important to me who doesn't believe the way I believe. 
And you know, Richard, I, I mentioned that to the, another friend of mine just the other day. I said, I think I would, I love having friends that feel different, that have different perspectives and viewpoints. I think, I really think that if everybody had the same belief and, and everything the same as me, it would be a, not a, a, a not a realistic world. And, uh, uh, I, 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 I like keeping myself open to, and you know, again, I don't feel like I have to agree with everything, but I'm, these people are important to me. I'm, I want to know what's going on in their lives and what makes them happy or sad or frustrated or whatever. I, yeah. Do you think if I'm reflecting on these, I'm reflecting on the idea that you belonged and felt needed at church. And I think I share this quote from Brene Brown, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who we need to be to be accepted. And belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who you are, we are. And, and so I'm thinking about your experience, this, you've mentioned his name, Steve Allen, I believe, who knew you were gay. And this is three decades ago or something and in your 20s and um, brought you into that bishopric. And just the... There's something about being called into a bishopric with the person calling you, working with God, knowing that you're gay and saying, we want you here. We want you. We need you. You belong. And and then subsequent callings and bishoprics and stick presidencies. How helpful do you think that has been to you to feel to be able to stay just because you felt needed and belonged and your voice was important? It was very important. Um, and it put me in a position, Richard, where I was speaking more publicly and was involved with more members of the ward and in the stake. And, um, and to see how many of them love me um, was just really, it took a while for that to get through my head, but I just have so many wonderful people, wonderful people in my life. And I think that a lot of them came as a result of my service in the church that I probably would have never rubbed shoulders with or gotten to know had I not been serving in the callings that I had. I really love that. And I love what happened there. And I have to think Heavenly Father's plan was in that. But I think of local leaders that may have closeted LGBTQ people that are wondering if they belong. And I hope as those people come out or I hope we're saying things that are more likely to come out, then we put them to work and we don't see them as, you know, some of the words you used to describe yourself. We don't see them that way. You don't use those words anymore. And we see them as the full body of Christ needed and their attributes and contributions being put for good and instead of feeling broken and not needed, not wanted. And so I love part of your journey is, is leaders that came into your life and, and asked you to serve and you answered those calls and there's a feeling of belonging there. I love the uh, concept of shame. We talked last night with um, Kayleen Potter, a podcast that should be released sometime around yours the mayor of Heber City with a couple gay kids and trans daughter and a gay son. And we talked a lot about shame. You've talked about shame. And it reminds me of one night I was visiting, not in a podcast with a man in his 20s. And he just said, sometimes I have attraction to the same sex. <laughs> sometimes I see somebody that's really good looking and I feel attracted. And I, th and I thought about that. And I think my answer five years ago would be to try to shut down that attraction and say, well, don't do that. And that's bad. And you've got to. And I, I sort of surprised myself. I said, it's OK to feel that way. Good. Um, it's how you're wired. It's how God created you. And you don't have agency over um, who you're attracted to. <laughs> um, you know, even as a married man, you know, I. I, you know, I, there's some parallels there. I just, I'm committed to my wife. Um, when I see another woman, I, I may know she's attractive, but I don't act on that. I don't, I'm very committed to my relationship and, but I don't feel shame necessarily. It's sort of where I go with that and what do I do? So I think, you know, if you're, I, I and I, I've also thought if we de-shame people like a little bit with that man who felt some attraction at time. I said, well, that's probably pretty normal. Yeah. 
Um, don't feel shame for that. And if you have some secondary thoughts and you even think about that person at night, maybe that's just a normal part of having of the way you're wired. It's sort of, you know, what are you going to do with that? And um, But I've also felt if we can de-shame people like this, this young man who was talking with me, then we make better decisions. We're yeah. making decisions from a position of strength. So I've always felt like you are going to make better decisions in your life, even though you've made really good decisions, Bryant, if you don't see yourself as broken or unworthy or not equal. And you, I just think then your ability to make thoughtful decisions is not as good as the way you see yourself now. So any thoughts on that, Brian, as we just think about a young man feeling shame? And, and maybe you can share with our listeners just um, how you work through kind of a physical crisis that happened because maybe you were trying to be so, I call it hyper-religiosity. Somebody <laughs> told me that term as you sort of become over-obedient in a way to solve this issue. Well, I had the shame. I felt like I wasn't good enough, as we mentioned earlier, like you're just broken in this area and I just felt like you know I, if I prayed hard enough and, and if I just did a little more here and there and proved that I was worthy um, that I was of more self-worth despite this this other side of me that people had a hard time with that um, um, my self-worth would increase and so I did that and um, and uh, as a result, I my body crashed. I felt like I had a bad flu, and it wasn't going away. And has your body ever recovered? It has never recovered. I've been to a number of doctors, and um, they do all sorts of tests, and they say, "Bryant, you're in great health. Everything looks great." And it just like three months ago, my tongue is turning gray, and it's got slices that bleed and I have these black canker cankers all over my mouth. Can't figure out what's going on. That's I'm, an immune system. It's just, it's, yep, they it's just, not working right. Yeah, is that the overall feeling? That's what the doctors have. That's all they can tell me is they feel like my immune system is, is whacked out. And, and I, and I think it's because I crashed because I was trying to be good enough. And that forced me to realize Brian, it's not your actions that affects your self, your self-worth. It's you were born with that self-worth. You're a son of God. You are not perfect. Nothing in this world is perfect. It is okay if you're not perfect. It's fine. Be as be the wonderful person that you are with your with your um, frailties, and it, it makes us human. And I think it makes other people interesting way, you know, and they have all these little perks and things. And so I, I look at my life and my personality in that way as, as well. That's very helpful. I love um, what that experience taught you. And I recognize the long-term effects of, of that journey on you. And I love where you came. And I, so I would just to repeat this, you said these words, you said born with that self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is our doctrine, our listeners, especially those of you that wonder if God loves you, that you have heavenly parents that yeah. love you. Yeah. And by nature of being a daughter or a son of God, you have infinite self-worth. You yes. are children of heavenly parents, and they have created you in their likeness and image. And I don't believe heavenly fathers up there doing a sort of a head plant or a fount, well, I forget what to call this, of sort of putting his head in his in his hands and going, oh, no, what happened? Some of my children are LGBTQ. I think this is just part of his plan. He can't be surprised. He can't make mistakes. So I think how you're created and all our LGBTQ brothers is somehow in the plan the way you're meant to be, Brian. Yeah. yeah. And then if you look at it that way, then you can't become, I think it minimizes the likelihood you become hyper-religious to sort of create self-worth because you're worthy of self-worth just because you existed, just like you shared with us. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things that you're sharing with our listeners that is very helpful. It's been a great blessing in my life. I feel a lot more at peace, a lot more at peace coming to that realization. It's not that I'm giving up. It's actually a wonderful insight. Um, yeah. How do you feel when younger people or you've had 
friends step away from the church and go into same-sex marriages. So how do you feel about that? Some members of the church are trying to figure out how to process that where they want to stand for the doctrine of our church. They don't want to sort of, you know, feel like they're okaying somebody outside the doctrine. So it's just really complicated space for a lot of traditional members. How do you, any suggestions you have or how do you navigate that? Richard, I'll I'll be honest and tell you that my friends who have left the church have not left because of this issue. They've left for other issues with the church. And in almost all instances, Richard, I think they're happier and more at peace. And um, they tell me that, you know, family and friends are, it, it affects their relationship. It's distanced them. Um, but for me, Richard, I, I, I'm happy. They're, they're happier. I'm happy for them. I'll, I'll, on the other side of my mouth, I'll say, the story's not over. The story's not over with anything here. Everything is up for grabs. And you just never know, Richard, what life will hold in the future. But I just want my friends to be happy and at peace, and I will support them in whatever they feel. I'm not going to tell them what is going to make them happier, bring them more peace. They need to figure that out. But I will love and support them in their search and efforts to do that. I'm com- I like that answer, and I. it's complicated for me to recognize people can be happier outside of our church than inside of our church. And because the church has brought everything to me that is happy in my life and with my family. But I guess I just, I said this on another podcast, if 99% of God's children are outside of our church, I guess he wants them to be happy. They're going to be outside of the church their whole mortal life, and he would want them to find happiness. So maybe in some cases it's not everybody's cup of tea, and they need for whatever reason to separate themselves from the church and I think if someone separates themselves from the church, we I almost now want to extend an increased measure of love to them because it's hard to do that, especially if they've served a mission and paid tithing and had callings. And I've wondered if I can extend an extra measure of love. That's one of President Hinckley's favorite words, measure, that maybe that will help them not to be angry and not to feel like, you know, any thoughts on that? Richard, Brian? I couldn't agree more. Amen. I, Good. I, I think that, that members of the church who don't respond in a positive, loving, supportive way validate their decision to leave the church because they want to leave that sort of um, person. They want to leave that sort of person. But if we support them, I think that their impressions and comments about the church will be a lot better. And that's not my motivation for doing it, Richard, but uh, I think uh, I think it will just make this whole situation better. Yeah, and I, I like that. I'm looking for a quote from Tom Christofferson's book that I've read before that just is a timely quote if any of our listeners haven't heard it. So I'm scanning through some PowerPoint slides, and here it is. Um, Brother Eric Huntsman quoted this at his devotional at BYU out of Tom Christofferson's book that we may be one. Accepting others does not mean we condone, agree with, or conform to their belief or choices, but simply we allow the reality of their lives to be different from our own. I'm not judging them, Richard. I'm loving them. Yes. Yes. Any final things, Bryant, you'd like to share with our listeners? I think I would just say to love yourself. Don't expect everybody to love you. No matter who you are, what you do, there's going to be people that really don't like you. And there's going to be people who do love you. And don't try to do things that will make more people love you. Be yourself. When you're you're yourself, you're at peace. And you can be the real sort of person that uh, your friends can love when they get when they really know who you are. Um, and those are the people who you want in your life. Those people who don't like you for leaving the church or whatever. You know, maybe they're not really. You don't need them in your life at this point in your journey. Who knows in the future? But yeah, that's what I would say. I love that closing um, advice from Bryant. Love yourself and 
And I love that you also said you don't need everybody else to love you. I think as teenagers and we want everybody to love us, we want to be accepted. And I think as we mature, and that's why your perspective is really helpful. Um, I love your closing advice. Love yourself. Bryant, on behalf of our, all of our listeners, we love you. We have sent your spirit. We've sent some tears. Um, we sent a really courageous, brave man who's walked the road that there hasn't been a lot of examples. There hasn't been a lot of a manual that you just turned to and said, this is how to do that. And I think that's a credit to you working really close with Heavenly Father and our Savior to be able to navigate this road. And I think now you stepping forward and sharing your story really does help others because you've had to walk this road. And who better to teach us how to walk this road than someone like you that's walked it for, you know, six decades. I mean, you're not really, you are over 60, but I don't know at age three you were walking this road yet as a gay Latter-day Saint, but you've been walking it for five or six decades. So um, any last thoughts as we just sign off? Let me just return it and say, Richard, thank you. Thank you for all you do. I love your podcasts, and I think that they're really helping people to be more enlightened and uh, more in tune and and seeing people and circumstances and what's important to them more clearly. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you, Bryant Carter. From behalf of all of our listeners for bravely sharing your story, we love you. You're a great man. Very I'm courageous, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.